Hello everyone, before Harry gets into this edition of The Roundup, I'm Sean Sheehan here and I must tell you that this episode is sponsored and made free by our good friends over at Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it is smooth sack summer and when you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're skipped. Uh, from pubes to bum that's right this is the summer to keep your balls cool while looking hot with manscaped their leader in below the belt grooming and make sure we all have a ball this summer bringing our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh fresh even uh, dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com and getting 20% off plus free shipping with that code severe mma and i know harry has got his Manscaped, myself and Graham and Ian and all the lads have got their Manscaped. And if you want to get it, I would suggest you get the Performance Package 4.0 because that is absolutely everything you need from the Lawnmower 4.0 to the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer along with the deodorant um, and toner and boxer briefs and travel bag to put it all into as well. Uh, do you know about the Lawnmower 4.0? Well, it has the advanced Kinsef technology, 7,000 RPM motor with a new multifunction on and off switch to engage travel lock, and you have the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off. Did I mention it's waterproof too, so you can bring it to the beach or shower or wherever you're going with it? The crop preserver is also great if you're going to a barbecue or going to be out and about. Keep those balls cool in the heat. That aloe vera formula is absolutely the business altogether. They also threw in two free gifts, did Manscaped. Uh, they have the boxers and the shed travel bag with that performance package 4.0, so you can bring all your stuff around with it. And it's aside from that, they have, uh, if you're wearing sandals this year, you're going to need the shears 2.0. It's luxury nail grooming a kit. Um, it has cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors in that as well. It's the perfect package you're with your, your balls yeah, with the with the promise package, your balls will be ready to press. But make sure to cover the rest with the shears more by dog. Please don't cut your balls with the, with the shears. Don't do that. Do not do that. Anyway, get twenty percent off free shipping with the code Severe and May at manscaped.com. It's twenty percent off with the code Severe and Manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer boys. Get on board and get left behind. All right. I'm throwing it over here to Harry Powell with the roundup of some of the best stuff from our Patreon this month, even patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. Here's the show. Welcome to the Severe MMA Roundup. I'm your host, Harry Powell. Before we start and get into the content, if you like what you hear in this episode, please consider signing up to the Severe MMA Patreon. It's the price of a pint a month, and it really helps the Severe MMA crew keep generating out the content that you know and love. We can't look at this sport and look after this sport, covering this sport the way that we do without your help. So thanks very much. All right, let's get into it. We are back with another roundup. And today we have a plethora of content like we always do. I think last time 
we did uh, segments, grouped up segments of, of all the various different podcasts, and I think we're going to do that this time also. I'm going to start this week with a speaker's corner. We'll roll into some of the Q&As. We've got some hot topics for you. We've got loads of good stuff. So let's get started with a speaker's corner talking about the Nate Diaz situation. The thing that we're going to talk about today is a bag of shite. If you ask me, the topic of, of today's speaker's corner is the egregious treatment of fighters when they speak out against the UFC or try to organize themselves in a fashion that will allow them to be in the best position possible to compete with the UFC. Uh, recently, Nate Diaz came out speaking about how his contract's going to wind down because the UFC haven't offered him the fights that they were supposed to offer him. He's been talking about not being able to find fights, putting himself in the the the, the ring for the Hamzat Shemaev fight and multiple occasions, Dustin Poirier, all of these matchups we've seen him him publicly talk about. Recently, he came out and said that he wants to box. Uh, whether he wants to box for the payday, whether he wants to box for the experience, who knows, but he's decided he wants to box and wants to uh, not necessarily exit his UFC contract, but pause that UFC contract to allow him to go and box. Very quickly after, within a couple of days after, we see Hamzat Shemaev versus Nate Diaz announced for the main event of UFC 280, five rounds, no titles, two title fights underneath that fight. And I see a ton of people saying, what a fight, brilliant, can't wait, build-up's going to be amazing. I've seen so much of this from media members and the, and the public. I'm going to chuck it over to you, Sean, because I think both of us immediately were just disgusted with the thing entirely. But I'll chuck it over to you for your initial thoughts. I have a lot of different thoughts in this, and I, I, I think we might actually disagree on some of them. But my, I, someone asked in the Q and A this week, and my overarching thing before this was I was just sick of this situation because I, I think in the, in this situation uh, specifically between Nate Diaz and the UFC is it's very different than lots of the situations we talk about with fighters and pay and freedom and all of that where I think it's 99% the UFC, or maybe like 80% the UFC, 20% all you signed your contract, this is what you signed up for, you know, know. whereas with Nate Diaz in the UFC, I feel like it's a little bit 50-50, but it's it's more 60-40, because I think the UFC have made a, a massive error here in that they have actually cut their nose off to spite their face, because... I think there has been a really big error made in not realizing what we had during the pandemic. Uh, and that, that might sound, you know, that, that might sound like, what, what are you talking about there, Shani? But, right, we have a certain amount of stars in mixed martial arts and a certain amount of stars in the UFC, obviously. And a few years ago, you know, it was McGregor, it was John Jones, it was Cyborg, I think were the big three. And obviously you'd run the go on your GSP if they're around or whatever it might be. Um, 
And then you had Nate emerge as this star who was a needle mover. You know, we all joked about it now, but he came out and he had Connor and he always had the third Connor fight there, which was another massive fight, which very few other people have in the sport. You can argue whether it's Connor or not, but Nate versus Connor was a big money fight, like Nate for, or Connor versus Habib and all of that is. Um, so you had that, right? And then during the pandemic, you had Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, and others, Israel Adesanya, I think is probably the best example because now we see the last uh, pay-per-view didn't do as well. I didn't see the numbers coming out, but I, I heard someone talking about it not doing as well. We, and the UFC in, in general and MMA fans in general, because uh, I saw, I, I put out a thing about Adesanya not being maybe as big a draw or as popular as people think. And I said, you know, I think Max Holloway is actually more popular when they were on the same card. Loads of people were like, oh, look at the numbers he drew, look at the numbers he drew. In the middle of the pandemic, people were sitting at home in the middle of the pandemic, you know, um, doing nothing, with nothing to do on a Saturday night. The UFC was the only thing on for a, a long time. Then people became fans of it. Now we're back out, you know, going to matches, and I'm sure the NFL will be back soon, and, you know, the, the baseball and whatever. No, here's a, I'm going a very roundabout way of saying what I'm saying here, but the explanation for that is the UFC, I think, have overestimated the amount of stars they had. They probably think, right, Adesanya is a star, uh, Gaethje's a star Oliveira's a star Look at the pay-per-view numbers These guys have drawn over the last two years F- Tony Ferguson All really big All really big pay-per-view That's not going to last That And now I think it will be up Numbers will be up Pre-pandemic To post-pandemic Down from during the pandemic I do think they will be up But they will not Remain at the numbers They were during the pandemic They just cannot So what you, what the UFC basically have done here, I think, have said, well, the business has been going great over the last two years. This has changed. We don't need Nate Diaz as much as we once did. And they're also probably saying, right, we have the ESPN deal where we get 500 pay-per-view buys, f- whatever. But that deal, that how long is left in that deal? What is there, two two years left in it? Three years or something like that? Like Nate Diaz... What is he in his mid-30s, something like that? He could still be around. He could still be a drawback then. But also, it, it's not to be around in three, two, let, let's say it's up in two years. It's not to be around in two years. It's to be around in a year. So when you're selling that deal, you can say, well, I have this draw, this draw, this draw, making this amount of money, this amount of money, this amount of money. What's your offer? It could be the difference between 500, 600, 700, 800 million. So what if those numbers turn in the next year? To where Gaethje's no longer a draw. Charles Oliveira, instead of or, or Adesanya, instead of drawing eight hundred thousand buys, they're now now drawing four hundred thousand buys. Or you know, probably wasn't that high, but like the six hundred down to four hundred, six hundred down to three fifty, or whatever it might be, which are still good numbers and all like that, but not what they used to be before. The UFC, I think, I do. I might be wrong now, but it it feels like this is a move that we don't need Nate Diaz, where they do need Nate Diaz, and they absolutely do need him. So we we can talk about that. The other second point, and I'll say this quicker, and I'll throw it back to you. Um, I I think they both played it pretty badly over the last while, like Nate. Uh, the the Jake Paul bubble has burst at this stage. If he if he look if he goes and box him, it'll probably do relatively well. But if he had done it a year ago, if the, you know he'd been allowed to do it a year ago, he probably would have got a lot. He could like Jake Paul is fighting the sparring partner and basically a uh, setup match in his last one to make him look like he can be the real boxer, you know. And if he lose, you know, and if he if, if the, that doesn't matter if that's true or not, that's what it looks like, right? 
And if he loses, he's fucked. So all in all, this Jay Paul thing's not going to work, and that's going to sell absolutely nothing. Showtime are going to know that bubble has burst, and when this deal is gone, Jay Paul's going to be gone. He'll be back to to doing YouTube, and so you're left in a situation where Nate Diaz has bet on a dying horse, basically, to get himself out of the UFC to get a lot of money, and he has kind of turned down fights and denied fights and all of this. And the biggest error by Nathan and the UFC, I think they've both made an error, is not getting a new contract for him, right? That is the biggest error here from both of them. Now, Nathan, as I said about Francis Ngannou as well, the best thing Francis could have done was a contract that allows him one boxing match or something like that, or allows him to get out for one thing, sign a five-year contract, a five, ten-fight contract, whatever it might be, but you're allowed one boxing match in there. If you win, maybe you're allowed a second one or whatever, right? That's the sort of thing Nathan should have been looking for if he was looking for something. He should have been smarter about it. It should have been... Um, him coming to a conclusion with the UFC. It should have been the UFC trying to keep Nathan on because he's a big draw. But it, what it was, was just a pissing contest between two fucking alpha males who just both cut their nose off despite their face. And that's why I was so sick of it. Like, there are some certain situations. Like, I, I felt sorry for Francis because it was obvious that he was getting bad, uh, you know, management and even, like, people covering him, saying, oh, he should be released to fight Tyson Fury. That fight, that, uh, I, okay, that fight will never happen. I'm going to say that. But it, it might happen if... Tyson Fury, like, just wants to do nothing, wants an easy payday at some time, which is probably not going to happen anytime soon because he's the whole Joshua thing and all coming up. So Francis Ngannou, I, I, I really felt sorry for him. For Nathan, I don't feel as sorry for him, to be honest, because I think he knew exactly what he was doing. You can't do that sort of thing with one fight left in your contract when you are trying to get in there against, like, a dead horse and everything like that. Now... Uh, I'll throw it back to you, but that is that's Nate Diaz specifically. We can talk about fighters in general and the whole sport after that as well. But that is my thoughts. That's my initial thoughts anyway on the Nate Diaz situation. Next up, we have some hot topic. If you haven't listened to the Hot Topic podcast, it is a thirty to forty-five minute discussion on about three things that have happened in the week. This hot topic is one of a couple that we're going to have featured in this week's in this month's roundup, and this one is between myself, Harry, and the General Graham McDonnell talking about the UFC's roster and its level of skill. And I think that's a really nice segue. And that segue is to our second topic, which is about the the I hate the word talent, but but the the resource pool that the UFC has. Given what we've just said about, you know, specifically about the casual fans saying, oh, you're a fighter, you fight MMA. Are you in the UFC? No, you're not. OK, well, that means you're not legitimate. Do you think right now in 2022 the UFC's roster is as skilled and resource rich as it ever has been. Yeah, I think it is because I think, you know, especially with a young sport like uh, MMA and a young organization relatively like the, like the UFC, I think everything is developing so quickly that the, the technique and the, the fighter level and the fighters all around game is just like, you know, maybe not, uh, 
you know, the best right now is the best ever, but the best over the last few years is the best ever, in my opinion. Like, it's very hard to go back to, like, much respect to, you know, Paz Rutten and all those guys, like, absolutely brilliant for the time and all that stuff, and pioneers and legends uh, who paved the way and all that stuff, but you can't compare their their abilities and their, their skill sets and what they actually do in, in, in the octagon or in the cage. So I do think, you know, it's it, kind of obviously it's it's the highest it's ever been. But in terms of, um, you know, the way it used to be where there'd be uh, one card every three weeks and to be people would talk about UFC caliber. Is he UFC caliber? Oh, he needs to beat this ex-UFC guy to prove he's UFC caliber. And there was kind of like a unwritten kind of uh pathway that you had to kind of show yourself through and even you know Carl Pendred beat Jay Mills and was told oh you have to beat him to get to the UFC and then he beat him but it was like Jay Mills was saying oh my shoulder so they were like uh you might want to go out and get another one there uh, so you kind of had to you had to prove yourself and you had to like either go through the ultimate fighter or beat the UFC veterans or whatever now you don't. You, they'll take a chance on you. It'll just be like, ah, you're you're five and zero. Oh. You had a nice head kick knockout in your last one against a guy who was zero and six, but like you, you look good. So in you in you come. Like we'll see how it goes. I suppose that is partly that PFL might pick him up or Bellator might pick him up or whatever. But um, like the standard of fights, even even the like you know, it used to be maybe that's for example the top. I don't know how many people were signed to the UFC. Top 150 guys in the world were signed to the UFC. And now it's like, okay, they have way more fighters, but the fighters are better in terms of technique and all that stuff just because MMA is developing. Like, even like uh, sports that have been around for hundreds of years or over 100 years, like soccer, if you look back at a game from 20 years ago and a game from now, like the players, the tactics, the fitness, the everything is just miles better. Like these teams will get absolutely hockeyed off the pitch. Like Man City would beat, like Man City would beat the, the Champions League winners of 2000, probably eight to 10 nil in my opinion, or maybe that's a bit of exaggeration, but they'd absolutely hockey them. Like, I know they do that to other teams as well in the Premier League. So maybe it's not much of a stretch, but I do think that the sports are in so many ways in terms of the, the understanding of training, understanding of nutrition, understanding of technique, like new techniques, what works, what doesn't. People starting at younger ages because of the, the actual possibility of making money, real money, and they are not real money for most people, but like at least some money, and there is a path to make real money. So, yeah, I think I think the, the level is the highest it's ever been, but if they had kept the kind of the UC caliber UFC caliber model that they had, unofficial model they had before, then the, obviously they wouldn't be able to put on a card every week like they are, and that's a, a TV deal thing and a money thing and all that, and ESPN seem happy so great, but in terms of the fans, you don't have time to get invested in these fighters as well. You, you used to have three weeks to kind of, you know, uh, kind of get, get in depth and follow what's going on and now it's just oh there's another fight coming there's another fight coming there's another fight coming uh, half the cards you, you haven't heard of the guy or you or you you think you haven't heard of the guy and you click on his insured dog or his topology you're like oh you actually fought a couple of cards I saw but I barely remember because it's just just so much okay let's jump into everyone's favourite segment and that is Shawnee Podcast's Q&A this week I've uh, featured two questions, two longer questions, two interesting questions. One about some Welsh and Scottish fighters and the second one about Irish lads training abroad and, and cross-training with other gyms in Ireland. Enjoy. 
first off from my friend Christopher Graham. Not a bad night for English MMA, he said, but a terrible two weeks for Welsh and Scottish MMA in the UFC. How would you re- rehabilitate the following fighters? Paul Craig, Mason Jones, and Jack Shore. <clears throat> it's an interesting one. I, I Look, I think some of them are different to the others. Um, I, I think for Jack, Jack Shore is probably the simplest one out of all of those. He's a, good, a great fighter, great prospect, great talent, who... I think probably took his eye off the ball a little bit, got caught up too much in the chat, and he just needs to get back into it, turn off his phone, get away from social media, get away from all that chat, book a fight. If it's in fucking, you know, Cardiff or Timbuktu, it doesn't fucking matter where the fight is on. Stop that nonsense. Get in there and fight. Get back to what made you great, right? Um... Mason Jones and Paul Craig a little bit different. Now, Paul Craig is different because he was on the precipice of something big. It felt like to me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, considering the run he was on in a pretty weak division, and he'd beaten some of the top guys there. Now he lost to a guy who was on a two-fight losing streak before that, and he kind of moves back of it. But for Craig himself, it's it's losing out maybe on a, a not a top spot, but a spot towards the top and moving you back he's still ranked number 8 as I look at it here now he'd probably obviously if Odzimir's number 9 so he'd probably move down to number 9 uh, but there's still guys someone like a Krilov maybe like that as he fought Krilov before that feels like a fight that's happened before but there's lots of fights like Justin Jacoby just came into the rankings Jimmy Crude Johnny Walker like there's lot, lots of fights there for him in that sort of division so I think he'll pop back here with a divisional fight again he's still ranked pretty highly so it's a step back for Paul Craig but not, not a massive one like I think the way Craig fights, and you see Daniel Cormier talking about, what's Paul Craig doing? What's Paul Craig doing? Fucking idiot. Like, is this, has this guy, like, ever watched a fight? Has he ever watched a, it, it feels like he sits there cage side, and he's just, it just, like, goes straight over his head, or if there's ones on that he's not commenting on, he just doesn't watch them and doesn't know these guys whatsoever. Like, it's grand if, let, let's say a fight, some fighter comes into you, let's say even if it's right, a, a Mason Jones or a Jack Shore, and you don't know him that well, I can forgive that. You know, you probably should if you're a commentator in the UFC. But Paul Craig is ranked number eight in the world in the division you used to be in. And you don't know him? He's beaten really good guys. He's beaten Jim Hal Hill. He's beaten... Uh, uh, he's beaten Ankalaev. How, how do you not know him? It's it's bizarre to me. But anyway, don't won't get off on a DC rant again. Although I kind of have there. But uh, yeah, Paul. I don't know what I was even saying now. Paul Paul Craig. Yeah, will. Okay, the point I was trying to make was Paul Craig will win fights but lose fights fighting the way he does. But he will he will win more fights fighting the way he does than he would win if he fought a more normal game, if you want to put it that way. So on you go, Paul Craig. Keep going. And then for Mason Jones, I think Graham said it on the podcast this weekend that, like, he said maybe we overestimated him, and maybe that's fair, but we also maybe overestimated his ability to get to the very top or to, to improve in a way we kind of take for granted. And I always say it, lads, there's a lot of people coming out of, you know, we look at them from Cage Warriors, but other places as well. And I was, someone, you know, someone asked me the question, does this guy have the ability to become a ranked fighter or become a UFC champion? And with almost all of them, the answer is yes. Um, and Mason Jones, Jack Shore, two examples, absolutely. But unless they have um, lots of different things go their way, they won't get there. Now, go, what, what I mean about lots of different things, will they put in the effort? Will they put in 100% effort to be the best fighter they can be? 
Will they get lucky? Will they get the right matchmaking? And all of that, and all of that comes together to, to see if you can get to the very top. At the moment, I'm not sure what it is for Mason Jones. I, I, I won't lie to you. But there's something just not clicking. There's just something not right for Mason Jones at the moment. And he's, you know, drawing fights and losing fights and no contests and things. And the performance at the week weekend wasn't great. Um, I I think... Uh, I think... We talked about in the podcast about he needs to go back to being a more technical fighter, which I absolutely stand by. He needs to stop trying to get into wars, add in a few takedowns, throw your jab and things. That's what Mason Jones is best at, and I think that's what he needs to get back to. So, yeah, that's where I would um, that's where I would go next if I was Mason Jones. Like, I can throw names out at you, but... There's, there's kind of no point, and it doesn't really matter. Maybe Craig is a different one. Their names matter with Paul Craig, but with the others, not so, uh, not so much. So, yeah, that's what I would, uh, that's what I would do with them. Uh, next up, question here is from. Oh yeah, when you look at the likes of Volkanovski training in two gyms to get different looks, and I heard Reese talking on the All Triangle about getting different puzzles to figure out, is it something that Irish fighters don't do enough of, especially with limited gyms and fighters. Um, you, uh, and the next part of the question, you obviously spoke to Connor in particular before. Should they be doing, uh, so spoke about Connor before, sorry. Should they be doing this more, even going to the UK? Yeah, I think so. I, I would agree. I don't think, I don't think Irish fighters have necessarily been that bad at it, to be honest. Like the SPG lads used to always go to Iceland all the time. Um, I remember Connor was over in New York one stage trainer, wasn't he? And, you know, obviously when he got bigger, he was training in different places as well. You remember he used to drop into Eddie Bravos and do different things. Connor's a different case now, obviously, because Connor McGregor just can't walk into any gym in the world and start training because, you know, he could, but also there'd be a hundred fans in him and everyone would be trying to prove a point. It's just a bit tougher, but, um, uh, the team Rhino lads have gone out to, um, uh, Ferraz's gym having the I believe that you know the connection with Joe McCulligan I think KF boys have gone up to FAI in trend haven't they and you know I, I think there has been a bit of it to be honest I, I, don't, I don't think Irish guys are necessarily bad at it now I would you know and and recently there I think was it SPG Manchester guys came over to SPG or, or you know one of those gyms anyway and it has happened down through the year, so it's not necessarily a thing that doesn't happen. But it should have happened more, maybe, is a question. I, yeah, I probably, I think it probably should. You know, John Covert obviously was very tough, but I would love to see, like, let's say if John Kavanaugh had a connection to, you uh, know, uh, ATT or someone, and like, let's say, you know, Kiefer and Will Flurry and all went out there for a couple of weeks, trained in ATT, ATT got some great looks. Like, look at Miles Price when he went to AKA and he came back, he was absolutely great. And he went out and he trained in Germany there recently as well. So, yeah, I 100%, I think that's a great question and a great idea as well. And I think they probably know that as well themselves. You know, another part of it, look, COVID was a massive part of it for the last two or three years, however long it's been. But a big part of it as well is just the money. Like, a lot of these guys, you know, if they're signed to the UFC or maybe in, in Bellator doing well, that can absolutely, you know, afford to, to go for a week out to New York or wherever it might be. But if you're coming through and, you know, you're fighting on cage wires or whatever, you, you can't afford that. Like, you just simply can't afford it. You might even be working a job or whatever. It's just not a, not a thing that's doable. But training with each other in Ireland as well, I think it's... 
it would have been easier, I think, a few years ago. And there was a bit of it a few years ago, I believe. Um, maybe we'll say it to, maybe that's a, a question we'll throw at Graham on the podcast this weekend because um, he'd know better than me and he's a better memory than me as well. But uh, I, I, John Kavanagh definitely like helped out Reds, I remember, for one weight cut and things. And I think I think they might have all done a bit of training together, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm not 100% in my memory of that. But, um, yeah. Okay. Let's jump back to Hot Topic, where Shawnee and Ian are discussing Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira. Uh, Pereira versus Adesanya, Ian. Um, I need to go back and watch that uh, footboxing bout. Uh, but have you, have you watched that? Have you gone back and watched yeah, that? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen both of the fights. Right. Um, what happened? And, well, one fight went to a decision... Um, which Pehea won, and the rematch um, was Israel was beating him, and then he got clipped in round three and got knocked out cold, really badly. Um, they had to bring the oxygen tank in, had to be stretchered out of the out of the ring, and that has what that is the story that is going to build the next fight in the UFC between these two. The UFC are trying to sell us the illusion of a guy who has beaten Adesanya before. They've manufactured him to get up to the top of the ranking so that it can make the fight somewhat legit. They matched him up with a very winnable fight and um, we are going to be sold wolf tickets on that fight. And that's what the UFC want. You know what I mean? They're, they're, I think the UFC are trying to manufacture this fight for Israel Adesanya and to sell his story and to bring give him some redemption. They're not trying to. They're not trying to get Pehea in as the champion here. They don't want to do that. They want to create a new challenger, a fresh challenger, and a bit of a story which all the casuals love as well. So you know, and after all the criticism, maybe that's come Israel Adesanya's way. It couldn't have worked out any perfectly for for the UFC um, in how they're going to promote this fight. So do you think Pehea has no chance at all? I think he does have a chance. Um, I think that, you know, he has some good knockout power. I think that if Israel fights a stupid fight like Sean Strickland does or did, that, yeah, he has a much better chance. But, you know, I kind of said mess in the hot take that, you know, Pehea could be Izzy, but uh, I think with the camp that Izzy has, Eugene Bearman is not going to allow him just to simply fucking stand in front of him like an idiot and take shots. Like, I mean, Sean Strickland, at least fucking level change and throw a shot. Like, you know, at least give him something. Like, Sean Strickland fought the most stupidest fight that I've ever seen anybody fight in the UFC. Ever. Ever. And I tweeted it out. I said he'll win this fight if he uses his grappling, but he might be too stupid to do so. And then I updated after the fight and said he was too stupid to do so. (laughs) I don't think Israel Adesanya is going to be. But you know what? You have that intrigue because you have that history. And you have you have the footage of Pereira absolutely blasting Izzy with that shot. And we're going to see that replay over and over and over again. And they're going to try and sell us that intrigue. But I think ultimately, after thinking about it a little bit more, I feel it's going to be Israel Adesanya's fight. As, as someone who watches a good bit of kickboxing, I watch very, very little of it. What, let, let's say, right, there is no grappling in this. It turns into uh, a 25-minute kickboxing match or however long it goes, kickboxing match. Why... Like, what's the difference? Like, is it not going to be a very similar to the kickboxing match 
they had when they kickboxed and would the advantage that Pejas showed in the first fight and dominating him and in the second fight and knocking him out not stand up in an MMA fight yeah it would and that's the thing and that's what I'm interested to see what Izzy brings here you also have a little bit of look at the, the range is a little bit different in mixed martial arts obviously because you have to be thinking about the takedown and and your guard is much different in mixed martial arts as well because you can't hide behind the big gloves so there are going to be a lot of openings so I think Israel will bring the confidence in knowing that he just needs to go in there and not get caught but the longer that you stand in front of Alex Bejea the more of a chance you do have of getting caught because he's going to have the same power in round one as uh, in round five as he will in round one. And you're always going to have that danger. Like, you know what I mean? The UFC will, the UFC will maybe overblow his power, but there's no doubt about it. He has power. We've seen that. And if he lands on the button, he is going to put you out. And you know what? I'll give Alex Behera some credit too in finishing the way he finished with Sean Strickland too because he landed that shot and hurt him. But his, ne- his next two shots were perfect as well. And to get someone to, to land as perfectly as he did when Sean Strickland was moving up and then striking him the third time when he was on the way down showed some great accuracy there. But we didn't see him on his back. We didn't see, we didn't see anybody fainting in front of him. Like, Sean Strickland stood there like a fucking idiot in front of him, crossing his legs, standing with his, like you're standing with your two legs right beside one another, just asking for it. And what he just walked straight into that. Level. It, was, it was ridiculous. Like I had no money on it. I, I had no real care about it, but for some reason that made me fucking angry because he fought like an idiot, to be honest. And I don't think Israel Adesanya is going to do the same. I think the UFC marketing wise have absolutely fucking nailed this. And now they're going to sell us Wolf tickets that the fight could be a lot closer than what it probably yeah, I, will end up being. I think it's unfair to say they're selling us Wolf, selling us Wolf tickets. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't trust Adesanya not to make it a boring as fuck fight. But I think if he does make it a boring as fuck fight, it'll probably be on defeat where it'll give yeah. him the, the chance to win that. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I absolutely could see Adesanya... Grapple fucking him for five rounds. I are trying. You don't to. even have to grapple him though. But even the even the illusion of of level but, changing, where you're getting somebody thinking about a takedown, can take away from someone's striking game can, as well. Can he do to Pereira what he did to Cannonier and the other guys? Like I, I don't I don't know if he can. Like that's that, not not in a jeopardy. straight strike. Not in a straight striking battle. Not in. A, yeah. I really don't because he's exceptional. He's. Pierre is the best kickboxer in the world, hands down, right now. Up there, up there. And anyone will tell you that. He's, you know, the way he does and the, and the, the, the touch of death that he has as well is just a game changer. Like, all he needs to do is land once flush on the chin and you're going to be either seriously hurt or out unconscious altogether. I, I'm making an Alex Bahia fan club, I reckon. I come on, Bahia, save us. Save I'd love us. to see it. For, as a fan, oh. as a fan, I want to see I want to see it. Well, let's see what improvements these guys make. Let's stand in front of them for five rounds and that excitement. I think, you know, the problem with the Jared Cannonier fight was that there was no point in that fight where you thought Jared Cannonier might do it. And I think the difference in this Pejea fight is that you you still have that little inkling in and saying, will he land one? Will he catch him? It could have happened because you know what's going to happen if it does. It's going to be big trouble for Izzy. So I think having that intrigue and that jeopardy, as, as Graham likes to call it, will make that fight a little bit more interesting. But 
I mean, fucking crazy. Yeah, look, at you, we shit on it and say bad things about the UFC, but fucking fair play. After manifesting this you fight, looking forward to now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I am too. Like, I'm a massive striking fan. I love, I love watch. I watched boxing. I watched kickboxing. I remember watching fucking K1 back in the day on Eurosport and Remy Bonyaski and all those boys going at it in the Grand Prix. I saw me as a fan what I would love to see here is um, a, a, a proper mixed martial arts stand up war um, with the four ounce gloves but what I really think is going to happen and I don't think that Israel Adesanya is going to be stupid enough to do what Sean Strickland does I think he's going to make it a mixed martial arts fight yeah he probably will as well Okay, let's stick with the middleweight division and we're going to hop over now to one of the first pieces of content this month and that is, again, Shawnee and Ian, greatest team in the world, talking about Andre Muniz as a contender in the middleweight division. So let's talk about him and let's talk about his, his ability and I suppose his, his all-round uh, ability. Uh, when I looked at him, I saw a guy who was very impressive but in. You know, you know, only in certain ways, maybe. Like, I, I, the first fight I watched was the Jacare fight, and how could you not be impressed, I suppose, by a guy breaking Jacare's arm with a beautiful armbar? Uh, you, you just have to be, even if it is Jacare in 2021 and not Jacare in, you know, 2011 or whatever it might be. Um, it just, it feels like he is one of these guys, and you know, this is maybe going too, uh, going too quickly here, or go getting to the point too quickly. He is one of these guys who uses jiu-jitsu as a plan A, but it works for him, and he does it very intelligently. Now, we can get to whether it uh, will work in the middleweight division in a while, possibly, but let me try to you first, first Spencer, and ask you about that. He's, he's let's say, the meta game of Eric, uh, uh, Andre Munoz, sorry, not Eric Anders, as I look at it here in front of me. Is it a guy who is plan A jiu-jitsu and that's all he has and if he doesn't get it there he's in a bad way or do you think he has a well-rounded game plan or you know uh, a well-rounded skill set I suppose you could say I think it's plan A grappling um, and he hasn't really had to go to plan B or plan C yet I think he is for me from the moment I've kind of started really paying attention, which was on the contender series. He's been reminiscent of Damian Maya in that the wrestling is there to get inside and get to his jujitsu, which is absolutely class. And so I do think it's very much a grappling oriented game. And if you can keep him off of you, like, this is going to be the challenge for everybody. Anybody that he fights, Raya Hall coming up, you got to keep him at range. You've got to keep him off you because so far in the UFC, we have seen plan A work really well. And if he gets a hold of you and he drags you to the ground, then you're in trouble or he climbs on your back and you're in trouble, whatever the case may be. And so I think the rest of the game is probably pretty basic if you if you make him stand with you if you make him strike with you for 20 for 15 minutes 25 minutes whatever the case may be you're probably going to beat him in a kickboxing match you're probably going to beat him in a striking fight but the trouble is so far nobody has been able to keep him from getting into plan a and getting into his grappling and that's the challenge for anybody going forward 
what you think, Ian, of his overall game? Like, w- would you agree with Spencer there about that? Do you think it's a game that can work going forward as you get towards the upper echelon of that division? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with Spencer too. And, you know, it's a thing, you know, where he can use his wrestling, use his jiu-jitsu. And what we are seeing is he's not just taking guys down and just winning fights or smothering them or just doing enough to win. He's getting down there and he's finishing guys and he's hurting guys. And that's what has us talking about him here right now. You know, that's what gets us exciting. Um, we've seen many guys in the past who have dominant wrestling or dominant jiu-jitsu that will just use it to, to win fights or irk out decisions. But with Muniz, we're seeing a finisher, a guy who's finishing on the, on the, on the mat. Um, normally, and we've talked about it before, when it comes to these kind of fighters, we have said to get to the very top and to stay at the very top, you have to be maybe a little bit more well-rounded. But I don't necessarily think that this is the case in the middleweight division right now because I feel that there's a lot of stylistic matchups here for Muniz to get him to the top and also to keep him at the top when he's there. Uh, you're looking at, uh, we won't go too far, man, but if you want to take a look at the rankings real quickly, like there's a lot, it's very striker dominant. You know, you have Paulo Costa, Darren Till, uh, Sean Strickland, Vittori, Cannoneer, um, you know, all of those guys are, are very good stylistic matchups for Muniz. And, you know, he's going in there against Uriah Hall in his next fight. Um, and I'd be very confident of him wiping the floor with Uriah Hall, to be honest. I, I couldn't see Uriah Hall doing all that much to Muniz. And I would imagine it's going to be similar enough to what we've seen before in previous fights with him. Okay, let's round this out now with... a. Quick hop back to the Q&A and a hot topic. We'll start off with the hot topic piece, and that is talking about the UFC's matchmaking strategy between Jakey and Shawnee Podcasts. I want to ask you, first of all, about the UFC matchmaking and talk about about it between us, because it's obviously with the UK and with the... um, the, the likes of Joy Herbert on the card at the weekend and Mason Jones as well. It's obviously a talk of mine. But also last week we had the Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan matchmaking and we had the Nathan Diaz uh, against Hamza Shamayev matchmaking. That one now is a little bit different, but it's still not. What's your take on the matchmaking? Myself and Graham have talked about it over the last while. I want to get your take on it because you're kind of in the UK as well and you're seeing a lot of it, whereas we're like a little bit outside of it. Is it seen as a thing like where it's good in terms of the UK guys are respected a lot and given hard matchmaking or is it like well these guys have plowed a tough road or field even and now they're getting this these really tough match, matches and it's a bit unfair really what, what way does it seem over there for me personally I'm more of the latter I think if you've worked your way into the business I mean so you look at some of the lads and their roads to the title they've potentially taken the end of their career on their way there to get the Cage Warriors title. That's before they've even got themselves into the UFC. I think we have seen it, though. You mentioned there, Jai, Mason. These guys have come in from Cage Warriors and instantly been given really, really difficult matchups. Granted, the Mike Davis matchup for Jones wasn't, on paper, a particularly rough fight. But stylistically, if you knew Davis, you knew Jones, you knew that that was going to be a difficult fight for Mason. Jai Herbert, I mean, Christ, you look at that record and it speaks for itself. Like, the names on that record in these last five fights has been atrocious. Whether this is a case of the UFC going, almost whether it's like a compliment to Cage Warriors from the UFC saying, look, we think your talent level is so high, 
we're almost going to bypass these feeder fights, if you like, and you're going to get thrown into the deep end because we feel you're fighting at a higher level. I mean, I'm sure if you ask them, lads, it's not ideal for them, but I wonder if there's a little aspect of that to it. I think I think it probably is. The funny thing that you see it as well, though, like I, I talked to Jai Herbert about it. And, you know, they, if you ask them, lads, it's funny because they can't really say it like they're oh, getting hard matchmaking because their whole attitude is I can beat anyone fucking planet Earth. So that kind of has been a matchmaking. But you see, uh, the problem is, right, you see it with uh, Paddy Pimlet, who obviously is like a, a massive name, and Ian Gary as well, who has hype coming in. Those lads have gotten, Paddy, Paddy Pimlet's got easy matchmaking. I think we could all agree on that. But Ian Gary has got probably smart matchmaking where they've given him a tougher test uh, every time. And he would say, someone like Gabe Green is, is a very, very good fighter. So it's not like he's getting, you know, gimme matchmaking or anything like that that but they have been smarter with them it's interesting you look at that right and you look at someone like say mason jones who was a two division champ coming out of there now jack shore i think is a little bit different because he's 15 and oh and was well, he's is he the ranker on the verge of the rankings anyway so he should be getting tougher matchmaking if you're getting the number 13 in the world after 15 fights and you're 15 and oh i don't see much wrong with that now people can talk about where it is but mason jones getting ludovic klein and short notice that's a bit tough we've seen with marsh Casey down through the years as well it's been a little bit tough but I I, I would tend to agree with the, the cage warriors part even though Casey didn't come through cage warriors but, but the rest it, it it feels like they looked at other fighters coming through cage warriors whether it's McGregor and Pindred and Siri and you know you could name 20 others coming through and I've seen like these lads are more ready for this step than other people coming from other organisations not even in Ireland in the UK but America I suppose especially and we're you know we respect that more and we're going to give them tough matchmaking based on that but I don't think it's worked well did what's your thoughts been on the way it's worked like it's so some people could say maybe in the long run it's for someone like a Joy Herbert he's faced that level and it'll be easier to face that level when it's ready but like I look at it and say you know build a person based on skill like they're, they're great at building someone based on hype which is Ian Gary's lucky his boat and Paddy Pimlet obviously has the hype that, that sounds bad but you know what I mean they're, but they're very bad at base, building people based on ability like someone like Mason Jones has great ability but hasn't you know isn't there yet if you get me yeah I think it's a weird one but I think we'll ultimately see whether this is the case where it's the cage warriors guys getting harder matchups with the exceptions of the like of your Ian Gary who he said smart and Paddy who I don't think he's getting feeder fights but I think he's, he's getting smartly matched as well I think the interesting bit is going to be over this summer this DNI contender series that's coming up has sat with British talent. Let's say all these Brits get in. Jack Hart might be a bit different, obviously he's won that Cage title. But there's a lot of these lads who have just fought on the domestic scenes, Mick Park and Thomas Paul. When they go into this fight, I'm interested to see if they're going to get matched as tough as the Cage Warriors guys have been matched, or whether it's going to be a case of they're going to be matched slightly smart. I think that'll ultimately dictate whether the UFC are matching these guys purely based on the fact they're coming out of cage warriors, or whether it might just be a case of, shit, we've got 800 fighters, let's just try and clump a couple of fights together and see what happens. It feels like that more than anything else at that level. And at the higher level then, briefly before we move on to talk about cage warriors London, I think they have really changed the matchmaking in that, like, if you're given a bigger contract, like someone like Sean O'Malley was, you're going to be given the tougher fights. If you're talking a lot and if you were, you know, 
if you've gotten to any certain stage at all, like Sean O'Malley has, where he's ranked, you're going to be given the bigger fights, I think. Now, I think that is kind of a precedent that they're kind of setting with someone like Shemaev, someone like Hamzat, that they're going to try to send them to the moon early. Now, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case with with Yan, but, or with, uh, with the O'Malley versus Yan fight, but I'm... I'm very interested to see how it actually works out because it's very much throw shit at the wall and hope it sticks type of matchmaking. As you said there, like they're 600 lads and they're kind of just throwing a few of them together. There seem, it seems like it's very, very, you know, muddled. And matchmaking's a hard job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's easier and that. It's a very, very hard job, especially when you have 600 fighters. But I, I we've spoken before uh, on loads of different podcasts and I, my, my point has always been to like, Get more people to do that job. You should have people whose job is, you know, they shouldn't be there to wins. They shouldn't be there, you know, sitting cage side or anything like that to, to keep people apart. They should be in that office talking to people 24-7, getting the right matchups, putting people in the right place, and it just doesn't feel like they're doing that. What's your th- thoughts on that at the top? Like, even the fact, say, someone like Leon Edwards is waiting for so long to get a big fight and then so long to get a title shot. Uh, it, it just felt like it was, and then they put him in against Diaz, you know, and now Diaz is against Shamayev as well. It's a lot, very muddled. A lot of it to do with contracts and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, if only there was one man working for a major European organisation who's not particularly bothered about the camera and is quite happy to sit there and put on some of the best shows in Europe and make a try and poach. Jude I Samuel mean, is around, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I think Ian would be huge. Well, Ian would be a huge asset to any company you work for, but I do think the UFC's smart idea would be to bring in three or four Ian Deans, if there's such a thing. A South, a one that knows that South American market, the way Ian knows the European market, a one that knows, you know, the Asian market. That then is going to be, I think, ultimately the best way to be getting slightly fairer matchmaking. But will it happen? No, it won't. The UFC feel like what they're doing at the minute is fine. I'm sure the numbers are still very good. So then why are they going to change it? We've seen this in the past with the UFC. If they want to stick to a business model, they will no matter what. And finally, last clip for this month is Shawnee Podcasts in his wonderful, wonderful Q&A. Enjoy. Uh, hey, Sean, big fan of the podcast and your work for Shardog. A great voice for the sport indeed. Jesus Christ, isn't that lovely now? Thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate you. And a few questions as well. First one, who would you like to see Gary fight next? Do you know what? Myself and uh, Harry were actually talking about this the other day. We, we recorded a we recorded a podcast which was actually about in Sherdog uh, this week, and we went through a few names. And you know, it's actually very hard to decide who who should be next for uh, Ian Gary. Like there are names out there. Uh, uh, Jake Matthews was a name a few people were talking about. Like his performance was unbelievable the last day. Would that be a little bit of a step too far for Gary at this stage of his career? I think it probably would, even though it's a fight. You know, if that fight happened tomorrow, who would you pick to win? I'd probably pick Ian Gary, but do you want to take that risk so far or, or, uh, you know, so quickly? I would say probably not. I know a name that was thrown out there by, um, by Harry to me. Uh, was let me just I'm just looking through the names. What was uh, Alex Morono was one I said, and I was like, now nah. Randy Brown was the one that uh Harry said to me. And do you know what? I don't think that's a bad fight necessarily. Harry was kind of saying he needs a bit of a, maybe a wrestler, which Randy Brown he can strike and wrestle. He's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but he's trained a bit of wrestling. 
Uh, he is 9-4 and four in the UFC. Will he fight someone who's only had three fights? Maybe, maybe not. I think we kind of, Here's the consensus of what he came to in the end, right? Nicholas Dalby. I think that's a good fight. You know, both ex-Cage Warriors champions. Dalby's fighting in London here in a couple of weeks' time, so the dates might, might stack up. Um... He said eight fights in the UFC. He's had three wins, just the same as Gary. I think it'd be a good fight, a good next step. And yeah, I like that. I think Nicholas Dalby would be good, especially if he picks up a win here coming up in uh, in a few weeks' time. So next question. Do you think McGregor takes the bait with Oliveira calling him, him out after 2-7-6? Uh, or he look, like, look for someone more easily beatable like Chandler to get his feet under him first? Um... Well, I suppose Chandler is more easily beatable than uh, than Charles Oliveira, but he's not exactly an easily beatable guy. But I know I know what you're saying. Um, the only way McGregor is fighting Charles Oliveira, in my opinion, is if it's for the belt, because like that's not necessarily a big money fight, and we have to remember as well Charles Oliveira currently not the champion after he missed weight. So if they were to give McGregor which I have actually predicted. No, I predicted McGregor versus Chandler. Uh, so if Charles Oliveira gets a bit of an injury or something, we could see that. But if Charles Oliveira says, right, I want to fight for the belt and I want to fight Conor McGregor, would they make that? Maybe. Would McGregor take that? I, I'd say he probably would the way he talks. Now, he talks in public and all of that, but I wonder behind the scenes what are decisions that are actually being made, what are the talks that are actually being had you know, with McGregor himself, they probably aren't even looking at anything yet because it's, I'd say it's going to be, you know, it's probably going to be another month before McGregor is getting into um, camp or anything, I would say, because, or maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe another two months, maybe, actually, if you're looking at it. If, let's say it's September to get ready for October, November, December. It's going to be around December, January time, I would think. So it's probably going to be another while before they're even looking at names. So, you know, it's it's a difficult one. It is a difficult one to see, do they want to leave the lightweight title uh, vacant for that long? If McGregor was coming back, I think they'd probably do it for him. But I don't think McGregor versus Oliveira as a non-title fight is going to happen. Next question. What do you think of Keen Cowley's MMA potential as he continues his comeback? Look, he's a lot of work to do. He's a lot of things to prove. Obviously, he lost most of his fights to date. Came back and fought a tiny last the last time and beat him. And he's two wins in a row now, which is good. So I, I interviewed Keen once, right? And it was the only time I ever interviewed someone and and thought, God, this guy this guy is saying the right things to make me believe you know I've, I've interviewed loads of people before and whether it's McGregor or Gary or Wonderboy or Benson Henderson and they've all said good things and they've all made me believe in different ways but I think Keen had even lost a few fights at the time and I still believed and I believed he could come back and I, I he's just one of those guys that I don't know why you know but I do believe in him and I do believe he will make a go of it and eventually it'll click for him and now that's a hard thing to say because what what is he is he, is he like two and five in his career or something like that which is not a great record if you're from outside of Ireland you're thinking what the fuck are you talking about Sean but I might be wrong I might be wrong but I I always felt like he said the right things and he was trying to do the right things and trying to go about it the right way and it didn't work initially he was given lots of hard fights and you know to be put into those fights was probably bad management if you want to put it that way Um, and now it seems to be a little bit better management so getting three more of those easy winnable fights didn't start pushing him on again but we'll see We'll see. Uh, what do you make of James Gallagher's progress as a professional fighter so far? Is he ahead of slash behind where you thought he would be? Um, 
probably a little bit behind, I would say. I thought by now he would have gotten his big name win. Um, or like someone, you know, he might have got a couple of big name losses, but one or two big name wins as well. Because like James is, is a good fighter. Like, will James be a top five guy in Bellator or a champion in Bellator? I am actually not sure yet. I, I would probably lean towards no, if I'm being honest. But I do think he will beat one of those guys in the top 16, top 10 of Bellator. I, I think his uh, ground game is very good. I think going over to James Krause is a great move for him, and I think it'll help him as well. But he hasn't reached yet. Look, a big part of that is injuries. A big part of that is Bellator not moving him that quickly. Um, and when I say that, I mean, like, he hasn't had the opportunities to prove where he is, I suppose. He obviously went in there against Patchy Mix. He did, he, you know, he fought well against Patchy Mix for a while, ended up, you know, the momentum went against him. Patchy Mix took over and he ended up winning the fight. Um, and he's a big opportunity now here again against Brett Johns. And I just hope his body holds up. You know, we talked about it last week with Sean O'Malley. That's a big part of it. You know, if the body can hold up and Gallagher's hasn't been able to so far and he's had bad luck with injuries in terms of his opponents as well. So he's definitely behind where he thought he would be right now. But did I think he'd be a champion or anything right now? No, probably not. But I do think I, I do think James Gallagher will get a big win against a good guy um, very soon if he can save it. Besides Reese McKee, who do you think the next Irish fighter to land in the UFC will be? Cheers. Uh, I, I think Will Flory. Um, obviously, Will has looked phenomenal over the last while. He won the middleweight title over in UAE Warriors. Um, I think maybe he'll have one more fight there. If he, he's another guy who's had tough injuries, but he's been able to come back pretty quickly from awesome, which has been great for him. Um, but I think he's be- beaten enough. Like Will Flory probably has beaten better guys than anyone else in Irish MMA outside of Ian Gary in the UFC, obviously, than... I think anyone, you know, Richie Smullins up there as well. He should be towards it. Paul Hughes as well, obviously, but he probably has another uh, at least one or two fights uh, in Cage Warriors before he makes it there. So, no, I think Will Flurry is the guy for me, and I would like to see him there. You know, Danny McCormick probably would have been the answer I would have given at the start of the year. I actually did a video on Sherdog at the start of the year. I must look who I said, but obviously Danny lost the weekend against it. It was her second loss in a row, so that's a bit of a setback. But she goes into Bellator. I think she's one fight left in her Bellator deal. If she wins that fight, hopefully she gets that in... Um, you know, in the car coming up here in uh, in Ireland. So, uh, if she can get the win there, if she's out of Bellator after that, can she get to the UFC? Maybe she can, especially if Bellator come back to Dublin. I think someone like Danny would be on the card. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do think it'll be Will Florida, and I hope it's Will Florida. I think he deserves it. All right, ladies and gents, that's it. That's your lot. I hope you enjoyed this month's edition of the Roundup. As always. If you can, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash pints and sign up there to get unlimited access to every single podcast, every single month for the rest of existence. Thanks very much. Take care of yourselves. Have a great one.